Our Lord Jesus, Father, you've given up so much for each, each one of us individually in this room. You love us individually. You know where we've been, where we've come from. And we pray, dear God, that this morning as we share some thoughts, that your Holy Spirit will bring it home to us, not collectively as a class, but individually. Thank you, Lord, for your, your love and the gospel, the everlasting gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's been just my experience from a, a number of years, the last 20 years, of sharing with people, traveling around, <laughs> teaching in an academy for 23 years, uh, that a lot of our folks struggle with some of the basic understandings of how to walk with Jesus. And because of that, uh, some of our kids are outside the church because we've misrepresented Christ to them. And then there were some the ones that stayed in the church were very legalistic, and they're trying to do everything exactly right so that God will like them. Okay? And that's, uh, that's not really the, the best way to look at it. And so some of the things I share with you, we're going to talk about the first part is the basic things about how to be born again. And when we do evangelism, and I've been involved in that since 1964 in eighth grade, so I've been around evangelism for several years, but when we do evangelism, we give people a lot of information, okay? And it's all good information, but the information does not necessarily convert us. Are you, I see some heads shaking, you got it? Okay, and so I'm going to share a little bit about where I came from, my background. So uh, I have some practical things that are not theology. I really had a burden for my church because I've seen so many wild and crazy things happen within the church, and we're supposed to represent Jesus Christ to the world. I was in an elders meeting one, or actually a, a church board meeting one time with three retired pastors and then the new pastor. And the the retired pastors didn't appreciate what the new pastor was teaching, so they got up in the meeting. They were actually going to hit him. And so, is that Christ-like character? No. no. So I said, hey, you guys, whoa, what are you doing here? You know, we're like Christians, aren't we? You know? So they kind of backed off. But I've seen a number of these types of things happening at board meetings, prayer meeting. And right after we got through with a beautiful prayer meeting, then the pastor and one of the members get up to, in confrontation to deal with each other, and my wife had to jump in between them. Okay, so this is not what God's looking for. He's looking for his character to be reproduced in our lives, right? Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. yeah. So uh, this statement here, the new birth is a rare experience in this age of the world. This is a reason why there are so many perplexities in the church. Now, how many belong to a church? It's like almost everyone. Have you seen a perplexity in it? Yeah. Have you ever been on a building committee or anything like that, building a, a structure for the church? Okay, that, that's what I do, or I used to do. And when it takes four or five years to build a 20 by 30 little addition onto the, the building, but no one can agree on the siding or the roofing, and, or they're going to take their funds out. Well, you don't do it my way. I'm not going to support you. Okay. And in some cases, that's why we're so slow at spreading the gospel, because you've got to do it my way, right? God has a special way for us to do it. He's given us a method 
for us to use. It's found in the ministry of healing, and it's Christ's method alone will give true success. My wife and I have tried Christ, Christ's method alone for five years, and we had 77 baptisms and, and profession of faith come in. Just by using Christ's method. Can someone tell me what Christ's method is? Ma'am. Amen. Keep coming. Okay. He took care of their needs. He won their confidence. And after he won their confidence, then he said, follow me. That's it. It works. We tried it. We tried it the other way for years. We got some results, but Christ's method alone really works. We just do that. So it's a rare experience, this new birth. And I've seen that in real life, and I, and I went through it myself. I went through the 27 fundamental doctrines three different times, never born again, never died to myself, never even understood it, never even explained it to me that way. So many, so many who have assumed the name of Christ are unsanctified and unholy. They've been baptized, but they were buried alive. Self did not die, and therefore they did not raise to newness of life. And that's the problem that we're having right now. We have a lot of folks that we're just getting baptisms. Get them in the tank. Get them in the tank. But getting in the tank does not change a person's life. It's Jesus Christ that changes his life. And as we spend time with him, we allow him to come in and live through us. Now we become happy, holy, uh, full of joy, peace, all these types of things. And then people are attracted to you. We've had it happen. Where do you guys go to church? How come you're so happy and all that and, and it's because of Christ. It's not us. We're still, you know, we still struggle with self-centeredness and tempers and all this other stuff, but it's because of Jesus Christ dwelling in us. It's the same way with you, and that's what God wants to do in your life. Uh, let's start with, with uh, um, John chapter 3, if you brought your scriptures or something. Now, we're all pretty familiar with John chapter 3, aren't we? That's uh, Nicodemus. The reason I want to start with John chapter 3, because in Desire of Ages, this is why I said there was no other uh, subsequent occasion where Jesus was so clear on how the gospel works, the ABCs. So um, before I, I say that, let me, let me ask you a question. Can, can someone tell me about Nicodemus, who he was, or what his education was, anything like that? It's okay, you can talk. You guys can talk, it's all right. There's not, there's not a wrong answer. Very wealthy, he was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. Okay, is that right? You all agree with that? Okay. Uh, and so he comes to Jesus by night because he wants to enter into a theological discussion to Christ about salvation. And so Jesus tells him something that Nicodemus didn't really appreciate. Do you remember what that was? You must be born again. Me? I'm the teacher of the law. I'm the one that teaches people. And you're telling me I need to be born again? And so they get into this discussion. And then Jesus says, listen, you need to be born of the water. And that's the easy part. I mean, anybody can get dunked. 
right? But this other part is something that's outside of ourselves. We can't change our hearts. Only God can do that. And this is something that happens outside of ourselves. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells, dwells in us. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher sent from God, for no man can do the signs that you, have, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we, we read earlier that there's superficial conversions and that many people have been baptized, but they're buried alive. And that's the problem with the churches. There's, we have too many people that are still alive, and they want to do things their way instead of allowing God to work through, through them. Uh, that, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Christ's object lesson. In the parable of the lost sheep, Christ teaches that salvation does not come through our seeking after God, but through God seeking after us. Does anybody like that? Three people. Okay. Well, I really like that because, <laughs> because I was a lost lamb. You know, I didn't know God. I, you know, I, I was halfway raised in the church from 14, but I left for several years. But God sought after me. He didn't leave me out there wandering around, getting in all kinds of trouble. He sought after me. So our salvation does not come after me trying to find him. I, I know a lot of our church members, the people we travel around, and I discuss things and talk to them. They're still trying to find God. They've been in the church for 40 years, and they don't have any security. Any, you know, they don't think that God actually died for them. Well, this parable tells me that, no, God's on our side. God's seeking after us. Okay. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which he which is lost until he finds it? And so if you have children out there, I don't know how many here have adult children that were raised in the church and they're they're out there now, they're gone. Anybody in that category? Yeah. My mom prayed for me for Years. The more she prayed, the worse I got. And one night, one New Year's night, her and my sister spent all night in a prayer meeting in church. And uh, I, uh, I had these, these thoughts and feelings that I needed to go home and see my mother after several years. And I was living with a woman. I was drinking, smoking dope, doing all this kind of crazy stuff. And then that thought, you need to go see your mom. And I, I needed to. I was, I was messed up. And so that was the first thought. And I, I can't, I, at that point, I couldn't say the Holy Spirit did that. But now I know it was him prompting me to go home. And so I, I did that. I went home, and, and she got me on a vegetarian diet, drinking water, getting sunlight. Uh, let's see, what are, what are the rest of those things, those, those laws? Exercise. She had me doing all this stuff, and guess what? I, I was healed. God gave my mind back. So... Um, God rejoiced when I came back. And when he found it, he laid it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and went. And when he, he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, the one that was lost is now found. So I want to keep praying for your children. Did you plant seeds in their hearts? Okay. It's still there. It, God doesn't leave you. There's so many times that I'd be out there messed up, 
And I remember sitting in a bar one time with a bunch of friends, and we were just acting wild and crazy and hooting it up. This thought came into my mind about Pathfinders. And remember all the fun you did in Pathfinders. <laughs> Can you believe that? And it, but it started generating this, this desire, you know, this desire to, to get back and to know God. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Likewise, I say to you that they which be, there be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over uh, 99 just persons who need no repentance. How many people uh, work in Pathfinders? Yeah, those, those seeds are, are important, what you're doing there. And a lot of times we don't see the results until years later. It's, it's like anything we do for God. You know, really, even in our Bible work, we've sowed mass quantities of seeds, and very seldom do we see the results until years later. But God's working on those seeds, working on those people. One time, after the week or so after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I'm still hanging out on the streets, and I ran into a, a Spanish guy. We started hanging out together, and I simply shared to him a little bit about Saturday Sabbath, Okay. It wasn't a Bible study. It was just I was going to church on Saturday. And so 20 years later, 20 years later, I'm, I'm in a church. Jody has a choir program with the high school we worked at. And after the choir program, this guy comes up to me, and he goes, I know you. And, his, and when, I, when I hung out with him, we called him Ralph, but now his name is Raphael. So I go, what's your name? He said, Raphael. And he had long hair, and now he's short and clean cut. And I go, man, I don't know you, bro. He goes, yeah, you do. I said, well, give me some pointers, man. Help me out here. I, he goes, uh, I used to live in Goldendale, Washington, and you told me about the Sabbath. 20 years before that. And, of course, I flipped out, and I'm going around the foyer. You're kidding me. No way, bro. Are you kidding me? And this guy, he'd went in the Navy, found a wife over in the Philippines, came back home, had some children, worked for the government, and he was serving God. So keep sowing seeds, is what I'm saying, sowing seeds. That's my second fanatical thing I like to talk about. Why does a person need to be born again? Okay, that's probably a no-brainer. Can we get there from here? No. We need Jesus. Just like people need to get on the boat in Noah's day, we need to have we need to get into Jesus Christ. Okay. Now I know that probably if you're a church member, you're thinking, well, I already know that. You know, I'm already in Christ. Well, let's find out. What good will it do for a man if he gains the whole world? Yet forget yeah, for his own soul. What what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, there's a number of folks that I know personally that are church members that they spend more time in their job and survival than they do in Jesus Christ. Okay? So it's totally up to you. If you want this world, you can have it. But if you want the other world, you have to spend some time with the King of Kings. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I've got to, I've got to survive here. I know that. But you still need to put that time in with God. That's the most important thing, going home. Because he's preparing a place for us that's way beyond our imaginations. And I don't want to lose that place for this here. Unless you are converted and become as a little child, you'll 
you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's a little childlike? When you talk about childlike faith, what's that like? You, you have children? What, what, explain to me, give me some adjectives and stuff and what a childlike faith looks like, huh? Okay, they trust. I like I like the first thing you said there. Um, remind me what that line the first. They don't, they don't question anything. Now this is one of the first steps that I learned is not to argue with God about stuff. Okay, when he, he started taking things out of my life, he started convicting me of certain things. Instead of saying, "Oh well, it's not that big a deal." It really doesn't matter. I'm sure that he doesn't care about this. I started saying, yes, Lord. If you convict me, yes, Lord. He took pepperoni pizza out of my life like that because I said, yes, Lord. Okay? And masculine says, I'm going to get into that tomorrow. I'm going to talk about it's a long and winding road. It's a sanctification process. What God does, sometimes we get this idea, okay, i got to quit doing this. i got to quit doing that. But if you give it to God, God will do it. As he did with me, he, took, he changed my likes and my dislikes. It's amazing. It's a miracle. So we need to be converted as a little child. Yes, Dad, I'll do whatever you say. How is a person born again? Well, this is a miraculous thing. We don't really understand it. It comes from the Holy Spirit. We recognize, you have to recognize your need. Yes, ma'am. Can I just give a little Yes. <laughs> it started me thinking about, you know, it's not, it wasn't him that did it, you know, it's, and it's God that, that's responsible for our good. Amen. Right. You know, when I grew up and within the church after 14 years old, it wasn't, that wasn't a stress so much. It was, you don't do this and don't eat that and don't watch this and don't go to those places. It was everything you don't do. But then when Jesus comes in, it, your motives, everything's changing about it. Now you want to do it because you realize that there is a God, a real life God that loves you and cares about every detail of your life. Okay, so we need to recognize our need. This is my story. I'm glad you can't argue with my story because it's my story. It's, it's not theology. It's not about the Holy Spirit or it's not about uh, what somebody else teaches or believes. I, I grew up, at, up until the age of 14, my parents, non, non-Christians, and uh, pretty rowdy. They spent a lot of time in the bars. They ran a tavern. And I, at five, six, seven years old, would be sleeping out in the car waiting for mom and dad to come out. And then on Saturday nights, I loved Saturday nights because the theater was my babysitter, and they have a double feature in this little town. So I could stay there till almost 2 in the morning. And so... Uh, after the show was out, I'd go home and no one be, would be there, like five, six years old. Now, right now, we call it child abuse. But where I grew up, that was like the norm. You know, they were a logger, a logger family, and we lived in remote areas. and So it was, it was pretty tough. Okay, so that's where my babysitter was. 
And then I went, I got baptized at 14 because everybody else did at 14. Not born again. Not born again. But I understood the 27 fundamental doctrines. I understood about the 2300 days. And in seventh grade, I learned who 666 was and, and, and Daniel 2 and all those types of things. Not born again. But I, I was taught those things. So I had a, an intellectual, you might call knowledge of, of Adventism. Okay? But then I got drafted in the army at 19, went and fought for my country. And then when I got out, I went right back to hometown, hanging out with my old friends I knew from grade school, high school, played baseball, drinking, crowsing around, and almost died. And then God reaches down and says, okay, you've had enough of this. I actually came to that conclusion on my own. And so I really sought after God with my own heart, my own, my own desires. When I was in the army, a pastor called and said, you know, you should get rebaptized because if you go to Nam and get killed, at least you'll go to heaven. Is that true? Baptism doesn't save anybody. So I came home, went to the 27 fundamentals again, learned the same information, and then went right back out because I didn't have any power, didn't, didn't know how to say no. The flesh didn't even know about the flesh, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And so I just went and played baseball. Um, yeah, it's hard to believe I actually had hair one, one day. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but at the age of 27, many have confused ideas regarding to confusion. They have often heard the words repeated from the pulpit, you must be born again, you must have a new heart. And sometimes people get an idea there's some kind of emotional thing that goes along with it. But it's simply making a decision that I'm going to follow the Creator God. And that's what I did. I got to the point where I became weary of sin. Uh, I don't want to let you read this yourself. At a time, some of these do receive acceptance with God and are led to identify themselves with his people. But I have been shown, this is, this is really important. When I do Bible studies now, I want to make sure that people are weary of their lifestyle, what they're doing. Because if you're not weary of that, you're not going to change. So I ask them, are you weary of the way you're living? You're weary about you know, living a double life here? you know, whatever it is, if it's drugs or whatever, a lot of us say, yeah, I'm tired of it, but I can't get out of it, okay? So I became weary, but uh, I've been shown that they were adopted into the family of God before that time. God accepted them when they became weary of sin and having lost their desires for worldly pleasures, resolved to seek God earnestly. And so one night I got down and I'd just gotten back from a party and I'd been reading the Bible. I was still staying at my mom's house. And so I got down on my knees and I said, and I couldn't stop doing bad things. I couldn't stop drinking or smoking or any of this stuff. And so I got down on my knees and said, God, I am sick and tired of my life. I can't stop doing these things. I need to know if you're real. I need to know if you're real. Is that a fair question to ask God? Yeah. Because I had been taught things, and I'd seen things, hypocritical things, and I just doubted if there was even a God. And as I prayed that prayer from my whole heart, this thought came into my mind and says, I'm real, 
and I love you. Now, what is, what is, what's really the bottom line most people would like in this world? What do you think the, the most, uh, who said that? Yeah, we want security, we want to know people love us, they care about us. And so when that thought came to my mind, I recognized, wait a minute, where did that come from? And I, I accepted and believed that was God speaking to me, that he was real and he actually loved me. And I, then I, I started crying and said, God, how could you still love me after everything I've done to you? I realized at that, that point that I had not been doing it to other people or doing it to self, but I had actually been crucifying Christ with my lifestyle, the things I had been doing. And it changed my whole attitude towards God. Then I realized the things that the church had been teaching me were things that God had taught to help me to be healthy, happy, that type of thing. So now I accept a lot of things that he, that he came to me and convicted me of as the voice of God speaking to me, and he wanted me to ha be happy and healthy. Does that make sense? It was a, a different uh, twist on it. So after that, then things really started happening. It was kind of fun. So all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We realize that? We've all sinned? Okay. What, what is sin? How can, I, how can I know if I'm sinning or not? Okay, the Ten Commandments let us know whether we're sinning or not, right? And it leads us to our Savior, right? It points us to our Savior. It's like a teacher. I think that's what Paul said. It's our teacher, our schoolmaster. But it can't save us. A lot of times we get caught up, well, if I do this, then God will like me more. If I don't, he won't like me. No. God already proved that he likes us. He loves us more than we can imagine on the cross. He was a good shepherd that sought out each one of us in this room, wherever you've been, whatever you've been doing, to bring you into his fold, right? Now, you might think, well, I don't, I've never drank, I've never smoked, I don't chase women, and I don't use drugs. This is not about me. It's not about what I was into. Each one of you have to examine yourself. Am I a critical person? Am I judgmental? Am I backbiting? Am I a complainer? Or am I full of joy, love, kindness, and I'm just a sweet, sweet person? Because God's looking for people that reflect his character in this world, right? So that's what you need to ask yourself. Don't, it's not about what I did. It's what's going on in your life. Whosoever commits sin also transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. He who has the Son has life, and he who has not the Son has not life. And I've met a number of my friends and family members that don't have life because they don't have Jesus Christ. But they're still in the body. They're still functioning. Surrender. So how do we give up accepting Christ on his terms? And before I used to negotiate with God, well, if you'll do this, I'll do that, you know, that type of thing. And well, if you get me out of this situation, then I'll serve you, those, those types of things. That was when I was younger. So I accepted God on his term. When I, that night when I got down, I confessed that I couldn't do this stuff. I couldn't stop doing bad. I couldn't stop smoking. And I admitted it, my weaknesses. I surrendered my will, my rights, if you want to call it, uh, to him. And now he starts coming in, and he starts teaching me and showing me things that he wants to change in my life. I'll get to most of that tomorrow when we do sanctification because 
He took music and food and all, but he did it in a sweet, gentle way. It wasn't like the pastor saying, don't listen to the devil's music or my mom or my grandma, whatever. It was God whispering to me and saying, Jesus and his music can't be in the same place. Or, or eating it, pepperoni pizza at 2 o'clock in the morning is not healthy for you. It's, it was a sweet spirit that talked to me that way. And then it made me want to stop doing it. I wanted to please God. I wanted to live for him now. So accepting him on his terms. So I surrendered. And you, you know this about um, when, when we're in a battle, people hold up the white flag. There's a kind of a definition here. So surrender is a battle term. It implies giving us all the rights to the conqueror. When an opposing army surrenders, they lay down their arms and the winner takes control from them on, then on. Surrendering to God works the same way. God has a plan for our lives, and surrendering to him means we set aside our own plans and eagerly seek his. The good news is that God's plan for us is always the best interest, ours is his best interest. So after I swear my, my life to Christ, then the Holy Spirit started impressing me on ways to help other people. I was a totally self-centered person, okay, bent on destroying myself. And now God starts changing my mind and seeing needs in people and how I can help them. It was miraculous. It blew me away. Even I'd be doing something, I'd go, why am I doing this? But it was because of God changing the desires of my heart. Juju uh, today whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you pray that prayer in the morning? What I do now, every morning I get up, I say, Lord, I, I commit my way to you today. I commit my way to you. So that what that means is whatever happens during that day, by faith I believe that God is in this thing because I committed my way to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So sometimes... Things that aren't so happy and pleasing happen. Instead of questioning God and saying, well, God, why did you ha let that happen? Why did you allow that to happen? I just rest. I go, well, God, you got, a, you got a plan in this for me. And what, I've been, what I was praying at the very beginning, I says, God, whatever it takes to, to make me like you, then allow it to happen. And, and so by those uh, trials and things that come in and we submit to him, we're growing in faith, and our characters are being perfected. You, know? you get put in a position where your, your uh, patience is tried. Have you ever done this? I've heard people say this. Well, I prayed for patience, and, and everything came down on me. Teach me. Well, I don't, I don't look at it that way. I don't, I don't pray for patience. I just, <laughs> I just love things to happen. I worked with high school kids for 23 years, and they, were, and they lived in my house, a lot of them. And so they tried my patience. And so several years later, people are saying, how can you be so patient? I, inside, I don't feel patient. But <laughs> something must have rubbed off through those experiences that helped me to, to cope with life and, and to be more patient. When you went to surrender, Yeah. Was it easy? No. No. There are things right now that come to me that I want to do, that I want to do. And I realize, okay, who's on the throne? Is this your plan or God's plan? And then I have to let go. And it's not, it's like, it's like pulling something apart, asunder. The Bible calls asunder. 
and it's a killer sometimes. If it's, if it's something I really like to do, that's where the problem comes in. Or something I really want to do and it's not right, there's still, I still have temptations the way. And then I, Debbie? I was just going to say, um, we don't realize how much of a pull the world has on us. Especially those of you, I was not raised in the church, but those of you who maybe have, it's like you're oblivious that the world has had a hold on you. And so when you come up against a principle that, that God wants you to live by, now there's this wrestling that goes on. There's this pulling of the flesh and the spirit. He'll talk more about that. But that surrender, we just think it's normal life. It's just normal activity. But we've got to, we've got to start thinking differently. So I never, I never realized there was a pull of flesh and spirit. Okay, I was never taught that in high school or the. Huh? Yeah, I can't talk about it. But, but um, this this realization really came in. And I'm going to tell this story. Jody hates this story, but it's a true story. And. And you can leave the room. <laughs> well, we're kind of getting into it, right? How much time do I have left? I got quite. Yeah, I still got a while. Yeah, maybe I could com- combine the two, but no, I, I won't. But there was a situation, I won't go into detail, that happened. Oh, man, I can't tell you that. It really is a pull. It's a major pull in the flesh. It was right after I surrendered my life to Christ, and, I, and no one taught me about the pull of the flesh, okay? And so when it, yeah, so when it hit me, like I was unprepared. But then in the situation, I just desperately prayed out, out loud, or to myself, out loud in my mind, God help me. Okay, I didn't want to do that thing anymore. And I said, God help me, and boom, there was a knock on the door, and then I was delivered out of it. Because Jesus Christ promised he would deliver us. He said, I will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. And with the temptation, provide a way of escape. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's what he asked the question. And so we're walking by faith and we're taking his word and we're living by that word. And so when I prayed that and he delivered me, and I I went in the bedroom and crying out, God, you did it. You're here. You're real. And that was another uh, eye-opener, you know. I could trust him. So and that, was in, that was in the early days, after, right after I got baptized. But since then, you know, there's been all kinds of things, mission trips and things we've gone on, not knowing what to do, where to go. We're lost. There's, we can't communicate with people and pray, and God will provide a way to escape the anxiety of it. You know? So I'll give you a number of experience, experiences tomorrow. Okay, but we have to, we have to give up. Okay, we have to surrender. It's easy to say that word, but it's really hard in reality. So I don't know, you know, what your struggles are, but, um, you know, I had sexual struggles. I had alcohol struggles, tobacco struggles, those habits, those types of habits, those types of struggles. But there also was bad attitude. I looked at people in church when I was young and criticized them, and it gave me an excuse not to go to church. Or not to be a Christian. And so I had to give up those bitter feelings. As many as received him, to them he gave power to be good children of God, to those that believe on him. By believing on him is by taking his word 
and praying it back to him, said, Lord, you said this, and then be still and watch him work. It's amazing. It's exciting. I almost invite him now so I can see it work. <laughs> Repentance. This is the next one. Repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. It's not something that we do. It's something that God does in us. Do you remember Martin Luther? He beat himself into repentance. Remember that? Didn't help him. He got a bloody back out of that situation. But it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. How can we be led to re repentance if we don't know that God is good? Right? It's like um, your siblings and you get in a hard argument with them and you start fighting and your mom says, go tell Joe Blow you're sorry. And you're not sorry? And it's, not, it's not true repentance, right? Okay, so true repentance. Uh, do you not know that the goodness of God leads us to repentance? What broke my heart, I, I came to Jesus Christ just the way I was, okay? I hadn't repented, but uh, he said, I love you, I'm real. And so that broke my heart. So I came to him and I gave up my rights to all my habits. And so it, it led me to repentance. I started looking at God not as a tyrant that was looking over my shoulder to figure out some way to keep me out of heaven. Now I started looking at him as a loving father that cared for me more than I cared for myself. And that, and that statement right there is miraculous when that happens. And a lot of our kids... Uh, or still look at God as a mean person that doesn't like them and doesn't want them to have any fun. And so somehow we need to show them, no, God is love, God cares about them, and following him is the best way of life. I've lived on both sides of the fence, and this side is a whole much more joyful and peaceful. So it includes sorrow for sin, but then you also need to turn away from it. That's the hard part. Some people say, I'm sorry, but... Yeah, turn away from it in your heart if you're going to have a change in your life. Unless you turn away from it in your heart, there will be no change in your life. That's part of the problem, I believe, with some of our churches, the people in the churches, that they still want to hang on to the world and call themselves Christians. And the Bible points that out, too. Have mercy on me, O God. This is David. Do you remember David's story? This is a perfect, beautiful example of true repentance. You remember the story about uh, Nathan the prophet? You remember that story, folks? Remember that? Okay. Maybe I'll refresh your memory. There was, he, Nathan told David a story about a man who, uh, a friend had come into town. And so uh, he, instead of taking his, one of his hundreds of sheep that he had, he went and, and took the neighbor's one little lamb that he had. Remember that story now? Yeah. And so uh, he told David that story, and David got all upset and said, well, man, we need to string him up by his toenails. And then Nathan looks at him and says, that man is you. And it really blew David away. Broke his heart. And so David, in Psalms 51, if you read through there, uh, you'll see David's repentance. It's beautiful, his prayer. Have you read that lately? He prayed, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. We need to do this. We need to get to that point in our lives. Not, it's not just one time. It's not something I did 40 years ago. It's something I do every morning, every day. I check myself at, at night. Lord, how do we do today? You know, I step out of your will. 
and just be frank with him. He he likes us to be honest with him. Just lay it out there. Tell him tell him you what you what you didn't like and what you liked about the day. Create me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Right? Along with repentance comes confession and acknowledge, acknowledgement that you have sinned. Okay, so there's things that we need to make right, and that's a hard part too sometimes, depending on situations and how deep you've got into things, it might be very difficult to make things right. Remember when I was in the military and I worked in an operating room and a friend of mine, not in the army, uh, was having a hard time, he and his wife, and they had a baby and she didn't have any diapers and they didn't have any money. And so I took a bunch of, bunch of diapers from the, the CMS place there where they sterilized diapers and I took them home and gave them to him. And then years later, I'm, I'm going through my list of things I need to make right, and that thought came to my mind. I said, well, God, how do I make this thing right? Uh, the hospital's down. They build a new hospital. People are dead. How do, you, how do you do that? And so I went back and forth for several months about that, and finally this thought came into my mind, just accept God's forgiveness for it and rest and have peace. There are things that we can't make right. There were a number of things I did make right, and it hurt to do it. Because I'd hurt people, I had to go back and apologize and make things right. There's some things we just, you know, it's beyond our ability to do that. So um, acknowledge you've, you've done, you've sinned, and then do what you can to make things right. And then go in peace. Forgive yourself. There were things that I struggled with for years because I couldn't forgive myself. And I would ask God, please, remember, Lord, please forgive me for that. And after about the 20th time of asking him to forgive me for the same sin that I committed 20 years before that, he would, this thought came in my mind, don't you believe me? Don't you believe me that I've forgiven you? <laughs> well, yeah, I believe you. Well, then I forgave you. Quit, telling, quit asking me to forgive you. <laughs> and, so, and so then I found a, a statement in Ezekiel where it's, this is normal procedure where we're being sanctified is that you go through this process, and, and we loathe, the word there, we loathe the life that we lived apart from Christ. And yet Christ has forgiven us and covered those things. Okay. So if you can forgive yourself, and I've dealt with a number of people that can't forgive themselves because I've done too many terrible things. And Paul, Paul said he was the chief of sinners, but uh, other people, in fact, I just met a person last week that they're worse than Paul. They're, they're the chief of chief sinners. I said, hey, no one's gone too far that God cannot forgive them. If God is tugging at your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. Acknowledge it. And now forgive yourself. Be happy. Be joyful in Christ. This is Psalms 51 again. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me, again against you, have I sinned and done this evil thing in your sight? David acknowledged it. He sinned, his sin was against God. And I acknowledged that myself in one of my situations. I realized it wasn't the person I was sinning against. I actually was sinning against God because God made him. He was part of his family. 
So when we hurt somebody in the family, we're hurting God. Does that make sense? Okay, but yet in the church, we'll hurt each other. We'll hurt each other. But the way I treat you is the way I treat God. There's been a number of times when I've, <laughs> I've been tempted to say or do something to somebody, and the Holy Spirit will come in. Remember, the way you treat that person is the way you're treating your father. And it stops me. I say, well, God, I don't want to hurt you anymore. Don't want to hurt you anymore. Acknowledge your sin against you. Have I sinned and done this evil in your sight? There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh. Oh, I misquoted it. Yeah, but according to the Spirit. Okay, um, what's, what's walking after the flesh? Give me some of the, the fleshy things in Galatians chapter 5. Lust? Good. Okay, lasciviousness, that's flirting. Pride. Two things, really two works of the flesh. Okay, well, that's great. <laughs> Gossip, okay. Good, good, great. Anything else? Oh, gluttony, okay. We don't want to talk about that one. We're in potluck here today. Uh, <laughs> uh, what else? What's something... A number of people struggle with. It's on the top of the list. That's the main one, selfishness. Selfishness took the place of love. When Adam and Eve fell, selfishness took the place of love. Selfishness is the root of all evil, along with other things. But what's, what's the A word? Yes. Did you say that? Who said that? Yes. Has anyone ever experienced a pull of flesh on anger? Two people, great. You guys are perfect. <laughs> wow, this is a great class. No one's standing here. Why are we here? Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I have been tempted with anger. You ever feel, feel that pull of flesh where it starts welling up inside you and then you're about ready to explode, your eyes are popped out? but you're containing it. No, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Okay, that's... So, uh, we walk not according to the flesh. Okay. God sustains us. And so because of that, what's the opposite of the flesh is the spirit. And that is... Uh, well, give me some adjectives about the spirit. What? Fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering... Okay? Temperance, right? And being temperate will help us to not be angry, too. Yeah, no, it's not. Okay, so, because we're in Christ Jesus, we're not condemned, and uh, we're walking after the, we're not walking after the flesh anymore, right? Amen? We're not walking after the flesh. We're not, are we? Are we still walking after the flesh? We've been born again now. We're new creatures. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's the idea. So Paul came to the conclusion. Is repentance a one-time thing? No. Is it a sin to be tempted? No. Okay. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, too. Jesus was tempted on the cross to come down. 
but he didn't do it because he saw you individually sitting in these chairs in this room. He would not come down because he wants to spend eternity with you. Amen? Is any three people like that one? I, I like that idea. Great. Can't wait. I cannot wait. I'm tired of people getting shot up, getting their heads cut off, drive-by shootings, every early, ugly thing under the sun. I'm tired of it. I think he is too. I think he's really getting ready to come back very shortly. Very shortly. We've got things happening around us now that were prophesied you know, 100 years ago, and it's happening before our very eyes. And a number of folks aren't even paying attention because they're so busy occupying until he comes. And if we're so busy occupying until he comes, we're not going to be ready when he does come. Why do you think only eight people got on the ark? <laughs> okay. I've heard it all before. Same with this message. I've heard it all before. Go ahead. I was going to say because they, they didn't believe Noah when the flood when the was coming. And they'd be like, no, you, it's not going to happen. No, it's not. It's not going to place. And then, you know, when God shut the door. That was it. So we've been going through Second Peter lately, right? In Sabbath school? And so now we have another situation where people are saying, well, it hasn't changed since the ancients, you know, since the pioneers. Nothing's changed. It's the same old thing. And then you go on, you read about God's put that ball of fire, whatever he's going to use in a safe place for when it's time, he's going to pour it out. Okay. But now is the day of salvation today. Today we can get on board, we can get inside the ark, we can say in our hearts right now, Jesus, I want to have a deeper experience with you. you know, I, want, I don't want to go through the same old things I've been doing and struggling and, and not having devotions because I have too many other things to do. I don't have time to spend with you. We're, we're going to change that. Now. We don't want to have that experience anymore, right? Okay. And I'm not scaring people to get out of the fire, but I'm sure that when Noah preached, he was more intent on the last message than he was on the first 140 years before that. And so we're getting a whole lot closer to the end than we were 100 years ago, right? So now's the time we really need to get serious. So, a just man falls seven times. I believe that, but I have a problem with it. I'm not going to argue with David Astrid, though. But it's... See, I believe that God gives us the Holy Spirit to keep us from sinning. Okay, I don't know if you've ever read that before. It's in the book Desire of Ages. And so if God gives us the Holy Spirit to keep us from sinning, then I have to go against the Spirit to commit, commit a sin. Does that make sense? To commit a sin. Yeah. So we shouldn't be falling seven times. But the, the important lesson about that is if you do mess up and you do fall, there's still repentance and God will pick you up. You know, I'm not saying that. But that God gives us the Holy Spirit to keep us from falling. And so we need to believe that by faith. And there's also a, a contrary, or not exactly another statement that goes similar to that. It says that Satan doesn't want us to believe that God can keep us from sinning. Okay. So if God says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to keep you from sinning, and then Satan's saying, uh, you don't 
you can't keep, God can't keep you from sinning, oh, then it's okay, I'm just going in the way I am. I'm going to go into heaven the way I am. And that's a deception. That's not going to happen. We've got to allow him to change us. Okay? Let's see if I can find that. There's one here. This is in Desire of Ages. It says, the greatest deception of human mind in Christ's day was that a mere assent to the 27 fundamental doctrines uh, constitutes righteousness. In all human experience, a theological knowledge of the truth has been proved to be insufficient for the saving of the soul. It does not bring forth the fruits of righteousness. Love, joy, peace, patience, those things. A jealous regard for what is termed theological truth often accompanies a hatred for genuine truth as many manifest in life. Manifest in life. The darkest chapters of history are burdened with the record of crimes committed by bigoted religionists. The guys that killed Jesus Christ, named him the cross, they were religious people. But they were not bearing the fruits. And so this, and she says, she goes on and says, the same danger exists today. Many take it for granted they are Christians simply because they subscribe to a certain tenet, uh, theological tenet, but have not brought the truth into the practical life. They have not believed and loved it, and therefore they have not received the power that God wants to give to them and the grace that comes through sanctification of the truth. Okay, So as you're making a commitment to Christ and you are asking him to come in and take control of yourself, and you tell him, Lord, I want to be born again. I don't want to be Nicodemus. I want to have your spirit dwelling in me. And then he will do that as we spend time with him. We have to spend time with him because we have to get to know him, right? The carnal heart doesn't want to know God. Okay? It's enmity towards God. Okay? So we need, a, we need a heart of flesh, a heart of spirit, and God gives that to us. It's his job. So we fall seven times, but we get back up. If you mess up, don't stay down. Go back to where you first saw the light. Go back, spend time in the Word. What happens when a person's born again? Transformation takes place. That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. The things I once loved, I hate. I hate. Things I hated, now I love. Tell, I'm just going to tell one story. That's kind of that's kind of funny. We were Amazing Facts. We taught at Amazing Facts for a number of years, and there was this little. We lived in Lincoln, little town. And there was a mom and pop grocery store that stayed open late at night, and so we ran down there to get some stuff. And I don't know what time it was. It was late. There was a few people in there, and there was a lady in the aisle walking down the soup stand there, looking at soups, and this oldie but goodie station's on, and this uh, lady's dancing to this song, Wild Thing, You Make My Heart Sing, You Make My Heart Go Pitter-Pat. <laughs> and so, and I'm looking, I told you, I'm going to go down and dance with that lady. And she said, no, you're not. And I wanted to do it just to, to be fun, funny, you know, and I thought, you know what, that, that's not cool, that's not going to be funny. But so I had to, I had to give away to my old flesh and wine to do it. And I wasn't going to do it just to be dancing. I just wanted to, you know, be kind of funny. So I had to die to that thought and that old 
way of life and said, okay, I won't do that. So God keeps me a lot of times because I was wild and crazy when I was a kid in high school. He, he keeps me from being uh, frivolous sometimes, most, most of the time. Huh? He keeps you from making fool yourself. And, but, but, yeah. uh, but, and he'll do that too. Those are, those are types of things that I have to deal with now. Because I have to remember, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I wear a t-shirt that says, follow Jesus on my back from summer camp. And so I'm in the store and I start thinking goofy stuff. And I, wait a minute, you got to follow Jesus on your back. You can't do it. You're a pastor now. Remember that. <laughs> I have to remind myself. And, and God's been doing a good job doing that. So anyway, transformation begins. I will give you, this is Jesus saying, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take that old selfish heart you were born with, and I'm going to give you a new one. I'm going to give you a heart to know me. Right? I'm going to put a new spirit within you. God said, I'm going to do that. We can't put the spirit in ourselves. We have to give permission to God to do that, right? Okay. I'll put the spirit within you. I will take the, that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Tomorrow I'll tell you some stories how God, in the very beginning, impressed me to help people and the struggle I had to help people. It wasn't natural for me to be that way and how God changed that. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And my first experience with this is that, that's Second Corinthians is that I had to say this thing a hundred times a day because the old nature, the old man, the old thoughts and memories for a number of years were in my face constantly. I thought I was going crazy. And I would, I would quote this, God, you said I'm a new creature. The old things are passed away. I don't want those things anymore. You've given me a new mind. I did not accept those thoughts that Satan gave me as my own thoughts. I believe that God gave me a new mind now. And that's, it's going to be a, a battle of the mind. Because where are we tempted? Right there. Right? And that's where we turn it away. Go ahead. Somebody told him once that Satan knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows he's been after our whole family for centuries. And he knows what we fall and tempts us there. So, um, and with the saying in mind. So when I get, like, Frustrated or something happens, I sing hymns. Amen. And then I actually start to like even smile because then I like think about Satan running away. <laughs> no. And that and that's cool because that's how we battle him in the book of Ministry of Healing. There's a chapter on mind cures in there. That's one of the tools we have to use against him. And so when see when when you're doing that, it's very cool because now you've entered into this this battle of flesh and spirit, and you're always going to win. Because Christ is on your side, and he wants you to win. And so I, I go through that a lot, those types of things, singing and scriptures, quoting scriptures. And so that means that the enemy has lost his power on you. He's losing his power on you. So very cool, I like that. Yeah, so uh, you're a new creature this morning, and I'm, I'm just going to ask you right now, you don't have to stand up and come forward. <laughs> I just want in your mind, I want you to ask yourself, do you want to have a deep, do I need to have a different a deeper experience. And if you do, then to remember this text here, 
that starting today, uh, Monday, June something, right? 19th, we're starting a, a new experience with Christ. Okay, and you're a new creature today. The old things are passed away. The old attitudes, the old anger, the old, oh, the wash machine broke down, it's flooded the floor now, and I got to clean it up, and I lose my temper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my wife had that experience. Are you going to tell that story? About the flood, is that in your talk? Oh, that's stress me. But that happened to her, and then instead of freaking out and getting upset and angry, she started laughing because the whole kitchen was full of. Our, another seminar that we do is stress management, and so on. One of mine is how you, you have humor in your stressful situation. And I was out. I ran out of the automatic dishwasher soap, and so being, you know. Naive, I took my Dawn dishwasher and I filled oh, no. the cups like I would with my other stuff, you know, and I locked, you know, closed the door and turned it on, went about my business, and a little bit later my daughter calls, <laughs> So I come running thinking that she's hurt or something, and there my kitchen floor was all bubbles. It was just foaming, and, and I, and so I ran, I, I ran in to grab some towels, thinking that was going to work. And I slipped around and sliding around. My daughter was laughing at me, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to win at this. And I'm all flustered, so I started laughing too. And we just kind of played in the bubbles, and eventually we got it cleaned up. But yeah, yeah, brother. So just quick thought, coming back to the wild thing. Yes. Remember when she was dancing? You wanted to go down and join her. Yeah. She might have thought I was a creep. <laughs> so, so I think she saved me from uh, myself. Myself. Good thought. Thank you, sir. Okay, so we're new creatures today, right, you guys? Ten minutes. Okay, I just want to drive this home. Okay, you're a new creature today. Who said that? You're a new creature. Does anybody else believe that? You believe that you can be a new creature right now today? No matter what happened yesterday, last week, last year, 10 years ago, today you can start brand new, becoming a new creature in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And now the Holy Spirit's going to be in us. He's going to control us. And you will be tested. You know, I was tested. I'll tell you about the test tomorrow. But, but God's always there to deliver us, like he promised he would be. He's, he's never let me down. It's been 40 years now. Never let me down. No longer conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we need to spend time in the Word so that God can renew our minds. Okay? I used to be really into sports, and that was a battle. To, now I'm not I'm not laying a trip on you guys. This, this is just my story. Uh, but it was a battle to give up football, especially when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. Because I'm from Seattle. But then the next year, when they lost it on the one yard line, it was very easy for me to give up football. <laughs> so, but this was one thing that I that I would struggle with, you know. And I got to check the score on Saturday night to see who won, or Friday, you know, or whatever. Not Friday, I wouldn't do it Friday, but I 
I did keep a Sabbath holy even though I was struggling with it. So, renew our minds, Romans 12, 2. We can renew our minds not only with the word, but by what we read, what we watch. Stop, stop watching things that are not getting you to the kingdom. Listening to music that's not getting you to the kingdom, not building up your spiritual mind. Now, so I can keep talking, I'll get into tomorrow's talks. Tomorrow's all about this stuff. Okay, and then there's this baptism. Now, after you have come to the point where you're weary of sin, you're weary of the way you're living, and you see that God has a whole lot better things for you, and then you submit to him. And then you're baptized, and you're clean, you're made whole, you're dead. Remember in Romans 6, where Paul talks about you're dead to the old man, you're raised to a new newness of life? Well, a lot of times we don't go through that thoroughly with people, explain what you're doing. You're committing your ways into the Lord. And so they get up and they're the same old piece, person. And they don't know how to change or how, how to stop doing what they're doing. So we're baptized. We're new creatures. The old things have passed away. Then Peter said unto them, repent. Okay, repentance comes from God. How many minutes do I got? I want to... Okay. I, I had a situation that before I was a Christian that um, I lost my job. I deserved to lose it. Uh, my car blew up. My, I had an MGB. My car blew up. Uh, my friend was sleeping with my girlfriend. I thought we were going to get married. Okay, So I had all these stressors. And uh, I was just broken. And so I sought God with my whole heart. And then God was there. God was wooing me to him. God found me. And then God picked me up and restored me. So no matter what's going on in your life, I want, I want you to realize this. God is there. If you're going through a divorce, your husband left you, or, or some crazy things going on, your wife left you, God knows that. And he has ways of healing us that are beyond our comprehension. Okay? So take heart. You're not alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you believe that? I will never leave you. Never. Yes, ma'am. The text that speaks most helpful to me and that I repeat to myself most times is Philippians 1.6, where God takes ownership of the spirit that is doing it. Because if it's up to me, you know, I, I can't do that. But he says, be confident of the Spirit, think that He, who has begun to work in you, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's the thing that's encouraged me. And God has shown me, um, you know, He can usually work for one thing at a time in your life. Um, some things He had to work on me for years to convict me. Now, don't get ahead of me. You deny that he's spoken on you, and then you argue with him. Amen. He really is. But he takes responsibility for the Save that for tomorrow. I want you to elaborate on that tomorrow, because this, this is exactly what we're going to be talking about. 
How does this process work? You know, this daily walk. Sanctification is a daily dying to self and daily conforming our will to the will of God. And so when God's dealing with stubborn people, sometimes it's, it's hard for him to get through to us. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Uh, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible says, Ask and you will receive. And I've noticed that we have a lot of different ideas about the Holy Spirit. Now people want to do away with him because he's the one that convicts us of sin, and he's the one that brings us to Jesus Christ. Okay, But when, when he says, you ask for me and you will receive, that's what he means. That's by living by the word of God, when God says that. And I know from my own experience, by asking, I receive. I received help for all, all kinds of different reasons and things. This is Fred. I got a call from a pastor a couple cities away from where I lived. I was about work at that time. One of my members is in the hospital and fell down and broke her hip. Can you go see her? So I did. I went in there. As soon as I went in the room, she looked at me and she says, you're the one that's going to bring my son back to Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't even know this lady. I said, what? Yes, God told me, you need to go see my son. I said, well, who is he? Where is he? He had gone to Andrews a number of years ago, got involved in drugs, and got a girl pregnant, got married, and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I go, wow, okay. So I go over to his apartment, and pastor goes with me, my pastor. Knock on the door. His name is Fred, mine's Jed, and, and my pastor's name is Ted. So we had Jed, Fred, and Ted. And, and so Fred, when, he, when we introduce ourselves, he goes, wow, you're kidding me. It sounds like a rock and roll band or something. So I walk in there and uh, sit down, and this is weird, folks, but like in one minute, I'm giving him appeal to come to Jesus Christ. I mean, I said, I just, I introduced him, we started talking a little bit. I said, Fred, listen, you know the truth. You've been taught the truth. Yes, you've wandered away, but God's calling you back right now. God wants you. He needs you in his service. We're living in the last days. We're out of time. He wants you to come back to him right now. Will you do that? And he's looking through me, doo -doo 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 -doo, like, you know, 20 minutes, but it was like a second, you know, but it seemed like a long time, just staring at me. He goes, yes, I want to do that. So we got down and we prayed. Now, of course, the, the devil didn't let go of him right there, okay? He doesn't talk in the back and say, go have a good time at Jesus. He doesn't work that way. Sure didn't with me. So, say a prayer. I said, I'll see you in church. He never came. He didn't come for like six months, and he got mixed up in meth. After, right after that, he met a girl. I, I know this story. I've, I've, seen, I've been there. He met a girl, got him mixed up in meth. He went into jail, and then he came back to church. I said, Fred, what have you been doing? Where are you? I haven't been trying to find you. That's a long story. But he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, and this is the day he got baptized. And then he went out, and he was selling books. And He has a, a great job, but he, he, in his spare time, he'd go out and and sell uh, big books. And so now he's getting married. He got married last Sabbath. No. July. Oh, in July. Okay. Anyway, his life has changed. He's a new creature. He's a new person. So, yeah. Out of time, sure. Okay. So, Joe. 
So Jesus puts his perfect robe of righteousness over us. Okay? This is the favorite, my favorite part. It's just as if we had never sinned. This is Romans 5.1. We're justified through faith in Christ alone. I don't justify myself. You can't justify me. But Jesus justifies us. Just as if we had never sinned. Now this is hard to believe for some folks. But this is by faith. Jesus Christ makes a new creature. And he's the one started a good work in us. And he will finish it. And we're justified by faith in Christ alone. So when the Father looks at you. No matter what happened yesterday and last week and last year, he sees Christ's perfect character in you. No one, I can't believe it. Hello? It, what's a, it's, it's quarter 11. You've got to be awake by now. It's 2011. Do you understand that, what that's saying? Christ's perfect righteousness, perfect obedience covers you. And it's just as if you've never sinned. Thank you, ma'am. She liked it. And that's the point. That is exactly, sister, what the deal is. And that's why when Jesus comes back to this earth, will he find faith on the earth? This is righteousness by faith. And no matter where you've been, if you repent and give your life to Christ, you are a new creature today. You're covered with his perfect righteousness. You have the mind of Christ. He's going to start thinking through you. The Holy Spirit's going to say, no, no, don't go there. Don't say that word. Don't tell that dirty story. You know, he's going to start talking to you, and you're going to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And that's how we're changed. Okay? Sounds simple, but I, I know it's going to be a struggle as you start out, if you haven't done that yet. So I'm going to invite you to go and take on the day now as I pray for you. Okay? Father, we've gone through a lot of material here. A lot of stories with a lot of Bible texts and statements. Lord, these are my people now. This is my, my flock, my, my, what do they call them, peeps, or what do they call them? Anyway, these are the people you gave me today. Please bring them back tomorrow. I bless them. Bless them as they uh, start out a new life with you just today. Thank you, Lord. You're always with us. You never leave us or forsake us. And you're with us even unto the end of the world. Lord, here we are. You see us here, and we need your Spirit to keep us from falling. Please bless them now as they leave, and I thank you in Jesus' name for answering prayer. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org